Welcome back to another episode of More Than Beauty with Daniel Mason Jones. In today's episode, we are going to have a lot of fun because we're going to be talking with a super amazing guy that's going to bring you some information that, well, I'm pretty sure will change your life in a different way. So um, we're going to welcome right now Keanu Trujillo. He is actually the CEO of True Strategies, and he is an Enneagram expert, and he's going to be sharing with us today exactly how to navigate this. So welcome to the show, Keanu. DMJ, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. I am definitely fired up about this. So I'm just going to jump in. What in the world is Enneagram? The Enneagram is a personality tool and, and I'm an eight. So I'd love to jump in for those of you that I want to introduce my type for those of you that are familiar with the Enneagram. It is a personality tool. And really, I think it's better described as a tool for wisdom, but personality tool seems to get across faster but it separates itself because it speaks to why a person does what they do and then how they do it and what they do. So in my background, I was in corrections, law enforcement, military, financial services, and ministry. And all of these career fields were people oriented. So I had to take different personality assessments in all of these different careers. And a lot of them just gave me a snapshot of who I was. They kind of put me in a box and said, okay, this is you. And being rebellious, my rebellious nature, I didn't like that. I didn't like being classified until I found the Enneagram and it shows us how we navigate in and out of our personality. So it doesn't just say, this is who you are. It says, okay, this is what you look like when you're at your best, when you're at your worst and everything in between and how all of the types, all nine numbers on the Enneagram really interact with each other and how they uh, interact with, with certain stimulus or conflict or things like that. So that's a 30,000 foot overview. I love that. You know, I first heard about Enneagram probably two to three years ago. And I remember hearing the word, I was like, mm, that doesn't sound like something that I want to participate in. Yes, <laughs> Just because right. I didn't know, you know, I, I had a different idea of what I thought that it might be. And when we heard personality types before, or we, you know, we, you would hear of like a cancer or a Leo or an Aries. And, and that was so general and people, people taking guesses. And I did take the Enneagram test. In fact, in our company, we did this, uh, it was probably a year and a half ago. And what we found, it was some pretty interesting insight. Now, at that time, I, I took the assessment and I came out as a two with a three wing. I retook it again today and came out as a three with a two wing. So I think, you know, to your expertise and wisdom, there might be a, a more solid test or uh, assessment that I could jump into I'm, I'm staying consistent with the twos and threes, though, with, with all the numbers out there. Um, so what is a three, just out of curiosity, or a two? Yeah, so a three is called the achiever. So, and as I'm talking through this, maybe we'll be able to identify your type and how it resonates with you. Personality assessments, this is a little trick of the trade, I guess. They only have to be 70% accurate to be used. Hmm. So imagine if you were only 70% accurate in beauty, yeah, I don't wow. think you'd have a lot of clientele, but oh. <laughs> the reason why they only have to be 70% accurate is because the assessment's supposed to get us into a ballpark of understanding. And then you have to do the internal work to figure out what your type is. So what I do with all of my clientele as we're getting started is we do what we call a typing interview. And so we take your assessment results and we break it down. We look at, okay, how are you scoring? That gives us a general idea. Then we start to dive into your higher scores to see what resonates ultimately with you. 
For those of you that are familiar with the Enneagram out there, you've probably heard somebody say, oh, they're such a fill in the blank, right? They're so confrontational. They're probably an eight. So we'll start to classify people and that will push people away or alienate them because no one likes to be classified, right? Right. But when we identify it on our own, then we're able to really learn how to leverage it. So what I'll say is I'll explain the three and the two, and maybe you can tell me which one's more dominant. Because of course, with the Enneagram, the neighbors that number each other, uh, they take on characteristics of each other. So as a three, you would either be a three wing two or a three wing four, or as a two, you would either be a two wing three or a two wing one, so on and so forth. So the two is called the helper and the two gives the shirt off their back to support others. When they're at their best, they give with no expectation of a return. They give because they believe that the gift that they offer the world is their support. It is their help. When they're average, they give with hopes of return. So they'll give, but underneath the surface, they're kind of hoping, but I hope that that's appreciated. I hope that maybe they give back in some way, right? Whether it be love or tangible. When they're unhealthy, a type two gives and expects a return. Mm. So they, when they get unhealthy or when they're stressed, they will give and they'll say, hey, I was there for you. Why weren't you there for me? And that leads to the dominant weakness or struggle of a type two, which is pride. And all nine types have a dominant struggle because of that pride of, of, hey, I want to take care of you, but I also want to be taken care of. Then there's the type three, which is the achiever. And the type three does not know failure. And they move away from appearing or being a failure whatsoever. So they are efficient. They are inspiring, motivational, natural leaders. They'll really step out to figure out, okay, what's the quickest way from point A to point B? Let's achieve that. The downside of that is, well, not really a downside. It can become a downside is that the type three is kind of the chameleon of the types. So they'll take on whatever characteristics they need to, they'll read the room and they'll understand, okay, this is who I need to be to appear or be successful. Now that can be leveraged as a strength. So long as a person doesn't lose themselves trying to find what they need to be. Now, if they, if they leverage it in understanding, then they can use it, but they know that they're not just what they put on. They're not just their persona. They're not just their mask underneath that all. They are still truly valuable. So those are some of the differences between the three and the two. And the three wing two and the two wing three will look a lot alike. So as I described those, which one kind of resonated more with you, Daniel? I feel, I feel like I have both. Uh, I definitely feel so many parts of the two my whole life. I want to, <laughs> I feel like I want to leave my house right now and go help somebody. Um, that's just kind of, that's who I am. Um, but the achiever also, I, to be seen as a failure, I would, I, I don't know what I would do. It'd be terrible because I always have to be busy. So that's interesting. I feel like I need to do a lot of self-reflection and uh, maybe take the actual typing test to figure out exactly which one I am so that I can develop and, and maybe strengthen a lot of my weaknesses that are there and maybe kind of tone down some of the strengths that I have and balance out more. That's, that's interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll help you find your type for sure. <laughs> so in your mind, like you're a really smart guy and I, I just, you're, you have so much wisdom to offer here. So do you think there's a such thing as luck when people saying that you're the achiever? There's been a lot of times people said, you're, you're lucky. I don't ever see luck as really being part of it. I, I have joked and said being lucky that maybe those personality types like to work hard. <laughs> yes. But do you believe that there's such thing as luck or do you think that everybody's kind of given an even playing field in life and it's how you develop your mindset? You know, when you mentioned this question earlier, I was a bit 
nervous about this question, right? Because I've not thought a lot about it. I've always been of the type that you create your own luck. Mm-hmm. And then the thought occurred to me, the perception of luck means there's a lack of context. Wow. So if a person says, DMJ, you're so lucky, they don't know the context and what it took to get there. They don't know that they don't know about where you started. They don't know about how you had to take the hubcaps off your tires on your way to Atlanta, <laughs> right? Throw them in the trunk and keep trucking. Was that lucky? That was not lucky. <laughs> Absolutely not. So the perception of luck means a lack of context. And I've never heard that before. It came to me. So thank you for inspiring me, Daniel. Uh, so I don't believe that there is such a thing as luck. I believe that you create your own. And for people that see someone as lucky, they're missing context. So you could have been born into, you know, the Rockefeller family. Are you lucky? Maybe, maybe not, but there's context there that someone worked hard and you happen to be born into that family, right? You were created into that family. Is that luck? Well, you know, that person that was born into the Rockefeller family may have a much more upbringing than someone that was born like you and I were, you know, more, more poor or in poverty. Because Mm -hmm. their luck and our luck, what we would perceive that it'd be entirely different. That person may say, wow, I wish that I had anonymity. That person is so lucky, right? Right. And and we may look at them and say, wow, I wish I had that opportunity or those riches. They're so lucky. And I think that that all just stems into a greater problem, which is then understanding and being thankful for right where you're at, because Mm -hmm. all of that made you who you are. And it's ultimately leading to your ultimate goal and your ultimate success. So I don't believe in luck. I believe that luck is lack of context or the perception of luck is the lack of context. Um, that is such a tweetable quote right now, by the way, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's really amazing. So right now, you know, it, we would be very naive to, to not acknowledge there's a lot of things going on in the world today. When people are walking around in anger and uh, it, it feels there, there's this toxic whatever that's happening out there. Right. When you talk about a healthy Enneagram versus the unhealthy Obviously, there's a lot of people that have been drugged into a very unhealthy uh, mental state, which is not good for any of us, you know, and so surrounding yourself with people that empower you or inspire you is has never been more important. Let me ask you, how do you feel about removing people out of your life that may not bring you the joy and peace that you desire? Mm. Well, what I found with the Enneagram is every type at their worst is very self-centered Mm. Uh, very isolated, withdrawn about themselves, every type, but every type at their best is others focused. They are servants. They are giving of their talents and of their gifts, every single type. So if you would have asked me this three years ago, before I found the Enneagram and I'm a man of faith, before I found my faith, I would say, absolutely. It's time to cut people off. I mean, constantly. And what I found out about myself as a type eight is it's easy for me to cut people off. Yes, because as strong and powerful as I am, I'm very afraid of being betrayed or Mm -hmm. being vulnerable or being seen as weak. So I will cut you off before you take advantage of me. So you asked this question three years ago, I am very much so in an unhealthy place. Now, I believe that it is our opportunity to serve those around us. And if somebody doesn't think the way you do or believe the way you do or look the way you do and you want to cut them off because of that, that's a key indicator that you need to pause and look inward to figure out how you can start working on yourself to then best serve those around you. 
Because what I've found in working in mindset and the psychology of understanding people is that we're all repeating patterns constantly. And you may cut this person off and you may say, well, it was because 2020 and everything that had to do with that. And then in 2025, it's a completely different circumstance, similar situation. And you're cutting someone off again and you're blaming again them. Yes. So until we stop to address the things within us, we need to be cautious of how we project what's going on inside onto others, because that could be unhealthy, right? There are people that are cutting off family members in times like this. And this is a time where we need each other more than ever. This is a time where we need connection. And as a believer, I can't help but think, and regardless of your faith, you can see this in the world. It's all division. It's all keeping us apart, right? Six feet, wear your mask, don't touch, don't hug, don't treat people as if they are human. Mm-hmm. And to then not treat them as human is then to learn how to treat them as less than. So no wonder it's easy to cut people off. So I think that we're all placed in each other's lives to serve in some way, shape or form. Don't rob yourself of that opportunity to serve someone and ultimately as well to be served by cutting them off because of the differences. I think that we're more alike than we are different. 100%. 100%. I, I love that you said that. There's there's been so many moments in, in my meditation or just thinking about things where I'm like, there are so many people that have so many things in common, but they don't see it about the one group has something in common with another group and they don't see it. They're picking each other apart. I love to always use the analogy. I'm like, it's like a teenage girl and her mother. They're so similar that they butt heads that they can't right. see that they're the exact same person. So uh, that's really powerful. And, you know, cutting people off, I, I sometimes wonder in my own mindset if I'm crazy because I can see in almost every situation I can literally see both sides with empathy Mm -hmm. and so when I see one person on one side saying something derogatory toward another or the other on the other side I'm like but you're you're I understand you have your views and your convictions and, and beliefs but equally so do they and to say that one is wrong and one is right, we don't know, you know, whatever makes us our moral compass, whatever makes us a better person throughout life is what's right for me. You know, I know that I couldn't be ugly to you in, in public or to a stranger. I'm not going to drive by you if you cut me off in traffic and give you a finger. That's not who I am. I'm like, well, I guess they were in a hurry. Right. <laughs> um, just don't hit my car. <laughs> but so many people now are just, they're living in angst and that's not how we were created to live. And, you know, I know we were in a seminar together yesterday where I talked about that. Like, I believe the greatest thing in the world that we have is love and respect. And when you have the characteristics of love, how you behave and respond to people, they do show up indeed. Right. So let's talk about self-development. Clearly, this is something you have spent a lot of time doing. Um, How important do you think self-development is? I think it's everything. I think everything starts with you. And this doesn't come from a super righteous place. It comes from a very painful place where I had to learn all of this the hard way, where I did alienate people, where I did push people away or where I did end relationships or things like that because I wasn't willing to work on myself. It's easier to wrap it up in a bow and blame it on you, put a bow on your forehead and ship you out. So I think personal development is everything. And and it depends on what it looks like, right? It could be in the physical, it could be fitness, it could be emotional, spiritual, whatever it may be, but it's everything to be working on yourself and continuing to understand yourself. Right. Because at the end of the day, you fall asleep and it's just you on your pillow. 
And at the end of the life, you came into this life alone, you're going to leave this life alone, and you're going to have to answer to yourself and understand and ultimately, again, as a man of faith, I'll answer to God. But in understanding yourself, why would you leave yourself a prisoner to who you are? Why would you let yourself be your own worst enemy? So some people say, I don't really like self development. I don't like reading books. I don't like podcasts, even though it's a foreign concept to me, because I love development. I still can't wrap my head around why somebody would want to be willfully ignorant or refuse to develop themselves when there's so much more they can learn and so much more they can accomplish. I think self-development is crucial. Maturity and and, uh, just maybe being a little bit more wise. I mean, you're, you're 27 years old, so you're definitely ahead in the game, but do you believe that comes with, with age also? I saw a John Maxwell quote earlier and I believe he said maturity comes from taking and understanding responsibility, not from age. Wow. And that is powerful right there. I'm pretty sure it was just earlier today. (laughs) That's awesome. So it comes with, with understanding responsibility. And so for some people, they mature much younger and understanding and growing. I think that's a bit of, of your story as well is then understanding, okay, what's my responsibility? Some people, they don't understand that until later in life. So I don't think that maturity is necessarily an age thing. It's mm-hmm. really understanding your responsibility. Another thing is because I'm young, um, and I've always looked a little bit older, right? And now I'm bald with a big beard, so I don't look 27. <laughs> but when I was young, I, when I was about 14, 15, people would say, wow, you must be 18, 19. And I loved it. Yeah. And then when I was, you know, 25, 24, all of a sudden I wasn't old enough. I wasn't mature enough. I didn't understand enough. And I realized now that was coming from some people that were insecure in their themselves. So I always say that maturity and immaturity is a willingness or an unwillingness to grow. If you're willing to grow, if you're willing to learn, that's maturity. If you're not willing to grow, that's immaturity. I've been referred to CEOs that are millionaires that super successful, and they know that they still have so much more to learn. That's maturity. I've been referred to CEOs that are in their seventies that said, he's 27. He has nothing to teach me. He's immature. Ah, wrong. (laughs) (laughs) That's their loss. That's not my dollars. I'm not worried about it. (laughs) That's amazing. I'm trying to find something really fast. Um, I I posted something on Instagram the other week and it comes to that whole maturity also and people holding us accountable where we are. And for me, I'm someone that loves to be held accountable. You know, if, if I did decide to make that bold choice that you did to become super healthy, I would have to hire a trainer because I need someone to hold me there. I'm not going to do that for myself. So this quote was being held accountable may feel like an attack if you're not ready to accept how our poor decisions affect other people. Hmm. And, you know, we do have to accept responsibility so many times and understand that if I'm not going to the place I thought that I would be, or if I'm not earning the salary or the income that I thought I should, if I'm in a sales position or whatever that might look like, I am the only person responsible for that. So, you know, it's about tearing our walls and being vulnerable. And and I'm going to ask you this, even though I know your answer, do you see vulnerability as a weakness or a strength? Another one of those three years from earlier, three years (laughs) earlier, and now totally different. I didn't really understand what vulnerability was. Yes. I would sometimes do it when I was a police officer. Um, I loved that job because I loved stepping in the gap for people when they were at their lowest point. 
I was raised, honestly, part of my story, a lot of people don't know. So this is, I think, a more than beauty exclusive uh, that I was raised to actually hate cops. My uncle, I had an uncle that died in police custody. And so my dad would tell me, we don't trust the cops from a very young age. And I was, I was raised with running drugs between cousins and uncles and things like that, because that is just what we did. So with that, I thought, okay, well, but how could I be different? And so when I ended up becoming an officer, a lot of my family was like, whoa, like (laughs) we don't do this. But anyways, (laughs) I say all that to say that I didn't know I was practicing vulnerability when I would drive someone to the jail. And by the time I took them out of the cuffs and left them there, they'd say, Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for understanding. Right. Thanks for, thanks for, you know, being there to, to, to hear me out. Right. They were just having a bad day. We've all had bad days and we all could have ended up on the other side of that. I didn't understand it. And if I did, I probably wouldn't have done it because what I know now about myself as a type eight is that I fear being vulnerable. And for the longest time, I thought it was a bad word because if I'm vulnerable, I think open to attack, I think open to be manipulated. And so I would hide my vulnerability and I wouldn't let people in because I didn't want them to hurt me all the while realizing I was my own worst enemy. I was hurting myself more than they could ever hurt me because I wasn't letting people in. And now I've understood in leadership and in development and because it's my job that ultimately vulnerability is the greatest strength. And Brene Brown says it best. She says, vulnerability is, is courage in you and weakness in me. And when I understood that, I started to learn how to leverage vulnerability to open up and say, Hey, this is where I'm at, right? If I get into a fight with my wife and I come home tonight and I'm frustrated because I'm hungry and it's been a long day and I haven't eaten and I get angry. And I'm saying, you know, where's dinner? And I would never treat my wife like this because she's a nine. She's a peacemaker, but she is, she's a firecracker. You'll meet her soon. I can't wait. She would, she would check me at the door. But anyways, I would come in and I'd say that. And if I wasn't willing to be vulnerable, I would tell her, Hey, I'm really tired. I'm really hungry. I've been, I'm exhausted. I've been working all day. I just, I just kind of need, you know, to be served right now or some support. Like I just need my wife. Right. Yes. I would get so much further in being vulnerable and actually sharing what's going on. And so as leaders, we need to learn how to leverage those vulnerabilities. Uh, my pastor, Pastor Stephen Furtick says, share your scars, not your, not your wounds, right? So you can share your scars. You can open up about those things. If you share an open wound, this is for the leadership side. When it's your spouse, share everything. But yes. in the leadership side, if you show your wound, it could get infected. But if you show your scars, you can use that to teach and to share and to, to, to help to lead others and let them know that you're human too. So I so much so believe in vulnerability and the strength and the power that it actually is, especially being an eight who, I mean, vulnerability is what we fear the most and yet the greatest tool that we can leverage. I absolutely, I love that share so much. So let me ask you, when you're going through as an eight, do you have a particular problem solving process? So say there's a problem that's presented to you. How do you react to the problem? Or well, does it depend on the, the type of problem that it is? I think it depends on the type of problem that it is, but I teach my clients this method and all of you guys are going to get it now. It's called a step. So sometimes we get super down on ourselves and trying to understand all the ways that we can grow and how we can develop and how we can, you know, all the things we can do. Some types will avoid it altogether. Some types will be super hard on themselves to a point of destruction. And I think in between there, there's a middle ground and understanding that we're always just taking one step after the next, one step after the next. And so it's S-T-E-P, stop, think, evaluate, proceed. So stop. 
for people that are very active, like you and myself, you know, like you and I, we are very active. We're always going, always doing something. Stopping is probably literally stopping, right? Pulling over on the side of the road or not taking another meeting or not taking another call, just stop. Mm-hmm. But for some people that are less active and they're more cerebral or cerebral or more in their emotions, they need to stop that. They need to stop that, that, that negative thinking trap or whatever it may be. Right. And sometimes it's, it's understanding, okay, stopping is just stopping that action. So stop, pause, right. think, think is not a time to find solutions. Think is a time to reflect. It's just to reflect on where am I at? How am I feeling? How did I get here? What's going on? Right. Can I just think without feeling like I have to provide a solution and then evaluate evaluate is where you get to find solutions. All my eights, threes, sevens, ones, twos. This is where you get to find some solutions. Okay. Then proceed. And even just in that, when I was building that, I was just trying to create a moment for pause for people. Mm -hmm. Victor Frankl, he was a a psychiatrist, a Jewish psychiatrist who actually survived Nazi concentration camps. And Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist before he went into the Nazi concentration camps. And then he found out while he was there, what all this study actually meant, because he saw it firsthand. But he says between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space lies our ability to choose life or death. And so between stimulus and response, there's a space. And so when we're trying to solve a problem, sometimes that space is very limited. It's very small. And what I do with the Enneagram and what you can just do right now, listeners, is try and make that space a little bit bigger. Stimulus, response, stimulus, reaction. In that space lies your ability to choose life and death. So if you can introduce the step method, stop, think, evaluate, proceed. If you could just remember that and just say, I need to take a step and don't remember anything else I'd say, and it just gives you reason to pause and evaluate then Mm -hmm. that's all you need. So that's my problem solving process as an eight. I, you know, shoot first, ask questions later. So I've had to learn how to slow myself down. And so I love that you asked that question because that's a concept that I'm working on currently. I think that's, I love that. So if you guys did not write that down, rewind this, go back, step. That is really powerful. What would you say? So I guarantee you right now, there's someone listening that uh, to your point here, it, it just stopping and evaluating that they keep repeating these cycles. It's this cycle of they can't, they can't get to where they want to go. They, they truly do want to be successful. They do want to be a greater wife or husband, or they do want to be a better leader, but they almost self-sabotage. They're on this, this cycle. It's like, I get myself there and then I tear myself down. What would you say to someone like that? I would say, first of all, there's some great studies by a Dr. Joe Dispenza who Mm, talks about patterns. And he's one of my favorites. There was a time where I completely geeked out on that for like six months last year and read all his books. And it was amazing. Um, You have to first identify the pattern and understand, okay, where has this happened before? And really stop and think about that. Where has this thing happened before? Identify the pattern, then identify what, like what got us here, right? What led to this place? And then start to evaluate, okay, why is this happening? That could happen for a myriad of reasons. It could happen because of limiting beliefs, as you so eloquently speak on in all of your teach in your teaching yesterday. And or it could happen because of the imposter syndrome. And so with that, our body is set like a thermostat. It's set at, let's say, 80 degrees. Yes. And if we start to exceed past that, then our body, our mindset 
our head, our beliefs will say, whoa, 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 you are not a 90 degree or you need to limit it back to 80 degrees. Mm -hmm. And so what's happening is that you are limiting yourself and you don't even realize it. You'll start to make a lot of money and then you'll spend it. You'll start to see a lot of success and then you'll slack off. You'll start to build your relationship and then you'll do something stupid. Mm -hmm. And you're not wondering, you're not realizing where is that coming from? And so stopping and identifying and seeing, okay, what are the patterns I'm repeating in my life? How am I self-sabotaging? Because I do want to get better. But above all of that, I think even more so just show yourself some grace and understand grace. Because if you are, if you go through all that process and you continue to beat yourself up, that's not going to be helpful. Yes. Show some grace, extend some grace, extend the grace that you deserve to understand that you are only human after all right? That you are flawed, that we are all flawed. And we're all just trying to understand this crazy world and what's going on. Right. And so give yourself some grace, begin to identify the patterns and then figure out, okay, how can I recreate a new pattern now? And psychologically, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about it as a man of faith. My Bible talks about it, but it's gratitude. Gratitude. So I know the science and I know the faith aspect that says gratitude is the only thing that can remap these patterns. So when you catch yourself in that negative pattern, if you stop and say, I'm thankful, I'm grateful for, and you really are, and you walk in that, you're able to rewire your brain to create a different pattern. And, and it's, 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 it happens. I mean, Daniel, I wasn't raised to start a business, to lead a business. I was not even raised thinking it's possible. So where I come from, if I tell someone I started a business, they're like, what's that herbal life, you know? (laughs) advocate like Avon what are you doing what do you mean started a business right they don't know and I'm like no I started a business it's very limiting and so for the first six months or so of working still full-time at Elevation Church and working part-time on my business I kept having these ebbs and flows this who do you think you are who do you think you are and it wasn't anyone else it was me because I didn't understand it was possible so I had to surround myself with people that were going to raise my temperature all the while internally raising my temperature to understand what I was meant to do or else I would have sabotaged myself or I would continue to do so. And you've got such an incredible gift to share with the world. I could talk to you for days. I could listen to you for days. You are so incredibly smart. <laughs> Thank you for sharing with, um, with everyone that's listening right now. If you had one thing to empower this audience with today in closing, what would that be? Well, first of all, Daniel, thank you so much for inspiring me just yesterday, the first time I got to hear you speak. And now we're here. I I love it. Uh, And just being confident and sharing my story. So I'm just so thankful to get to share. Um, I would say that, uh, and maybe this leads into the way that I would empower people. Uh, I've never, I didn't, I went to college for one semester. Uh, I didn't get a degree. I love to learn. I love education, but I have no degree to show for it. So what I would say is maybe that lean into empowering people today is understanding that you have a lot more uh, skills, capabilities, strengths than you're aware of. And you have for so long taken them for granted. Mm -hmm. You don't understand how powerful and how amazing you are and the things that you bring to the table because it's familiar, right? I was always, and maybe this was because I used to be a really, really, I mean, I'm a big guy now, but I used to be round when I was young. So I always got friend zoned, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, then I got buff and I started friend zoning all of them, but you know, I got friend zoned a lot and I would always be that person that'd be like a, a, a best friend counselor to everyone. And so I grew up with the belief that, oh, everyone can speak like this. Everyone can encourage, everyone can empower, everyone can, you know, really coach people. 
Um, my parents got divorced. My stepdad and my mom got divorced my junior year. Both my parents, both sides got divorced when I was young, but my mom got divorced uh, my junior year. And I remember coaching her and counseling her through the divorce. I didn't realize I was doing that at the time because I thought, well, this is just what you do. You're just there for people. That's what you do. All the while forgetting that that was a strength. So it was right under my nose all the time. And so when I went into all these careers and I was searching for this purpose and I was searching for this meaning, it was always there. And in all of my various careers, I always gravitated towards coaching and teaching and leadership. And then I finally looked back and realized that was always there and I had been taking it for granted. Mm -hmm. So if 2020 did anything, it caused for pause, pause and evaluate as we're going into 2021 and the rest of your life, what are the gifts that you've been taking for granted? And it doesn't have to be in business. It doesn't have to be to produce a, a, a dollar amount. It could just be a gift that you've been gifted with to impact the world. And I know through the Enneagram, the gifts that each type offer, mm -hmm. but there are gifts within you that you have taken for granted because it's just so familiar. So yeah. what I would say in empowering people in closing is, hey, spend some time really evaluating, hey, what are my gifts? right? What do I have to offer the world? Because I'm feeling kind of low. We're all meant to serve. We're all built to serve. So if you're feeling low, go serve somebody. I guarantee you can't not feel better. You, you will feel better. I promise you. And, uh, down. and, and if you want to learn how to do that with the Enneagram, you guys can email me info at truestrategy.info, info at truestrategy.info. And I'd love to join you in that. Thank you. And I'm going to make sure to add that information to the story or the show notes here to let people know how to find you. You're absolutely incredible human being. I'm, I'm grateful for you and your time today. Thank you for uh, spreading your knowledge with everyone. And uh, I wish you well and cannot wait to chat with you next time. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, listeners. Appreciate all of you. Thank you.